The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the First Cut Podcast here on CBS Sports. That, yeah, yes, yes, that, Sean Martin. PGATour.com from uh, Inside the Belly of the Beast at uh, at the Mothership. Sean, uh, thank you so much for jumping in. Like, for the, for the first show of the week, we had to rip Kyle away from his vacation. He didn't even tell his family. He was sneaking away to record a podcast, but that's because of his love of Matthew Wolf. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for stepping in uh, here on the First Cut Podcast. Yeah, so I thought he was kidding when he said he didn't tell his wife he was doing that pod, but then uh, we have a little text between uh, ourselves and our wives so that our wives can commiserate, uh, I guess, having golf-obsessed husbands. Sure. And I put that quote in there saying I enjoyed it, and he's like, hey, thanks for selling me out. And I'm like, well, <laughs> if you put it on a publicly available podcast, I've got to think that uh, that it's you know fair game. Your wife probably actually knows, but she, did, he, she in fact did not know that he was podcasting on their family vacation. Yeah, he really doesn't uh, appreciate how callous she probably is to the fact, to all of the content that comes from Kyle Porter. Yeah, I was surprised because I told him my wife listens to all my podcasts because that's probably the most she hears my voice all week. Oh, oh, sad. Well, uh, much love. Not, not true. Much, much love to all the extended family of the First Cut podcast. Uh, we appreciate your listenings and your uh, subscriptions. All right. I mean, so you were, uh, I guess, were you working on Sunday or was this just a, just your own labor of love to just help be telling the story of Matthew Wolf because it truly is with this win, it is the it is the Sean Martin bump, right? Like you write the big, he's turning pro, here's the deal, and then uh he comes back and now makes you look like uh a genius sports writer. Yeah, so I've been telling people I was supposed to be at the 3M open, but I begged off. I was like, you know, it's been a long year, I've got two kids at home, I'm about to leave for the open. Is there any way I could miss it? Uh and so then, of course, you know, my boss is kind enough to find a fill-in, but of course then all that happens, and I'm regretting it and, and wish I had gone. But it was a great tournament, super fun. It, it's so cool to have young players who get in the mix quickly. And, and really the Matthew Wolf thing goes back pretty far for me just because I worked in the cart barn at Westlake uh, in high school for a few years. And when I was there, I was in the cart barn picking the range balls in the cage car. People were aiming at me and hitting me. Uh, and then Chris Como, who worked with Tiger Woods for a while and is still a top teacher in the game, he was working in the pro shop, and George Gankus was caddying a little bit at local wow. courses, playing a little pro golf, and just starting to give lessons. So, uh, And Wesley, of course, now is Gankus still teaches there, uh, and that's where Wolf does his practicing when he's home. That's where all those Instagram videos you see were filmed. So it's been really cool. I mean, it's a 5,000-yard golf course. Uh, the, the range is artificial mats. The you know, striped range balls. It's like 
it's as public as it gets. And it's now this place where, you know, George Gankins is running a really successful teaching operation out of, you know, Matthew Wolf, uh, obviously is his big star. But if you look deep enough, there's videos of Dustin Johnson hitting balls there because, uh, kind of the Gankuses are friends with the Gretzkys and, um, that Padraig Harrington has taken lessons there from George. And so it's just a, it's crazy. A little place like that has gotten some decent pub on, in the golf world. I mean, Westlake, Texas to me is high school California. football. Oh, okay. Westlake, California. Hmm. Yeah. So you've got, you've got it all the way back. Do you, all right. So, um, do you take in, in the idea that this is just like the beginning of a new coaching tree as Kyle called it? I think one of the the great quotes I got in that Matthew Wolf story was from Charles Howell because, you know, Howell can relate, uh, like Wolf, he came out as a highly touted star. Uh, You know, Wolf turned pro after winning the NCAAs by five. Howell turned pro after winning the NCAAs by eight. Um, And Howell, as many people know, has seen most of the big-name instructors. He's not afraid to try something new, and he's always looking for a a new answer. And so he's a guy who's well-versed to speak on instruction. And he kind of said that, he feels like now with you know the things that we have to measure things, whether it be TrackMan or flight scope or uh, pressure plates, you know we have all this stuff, all this these ways to measure and get new data on what the body is doing in the golf swing. That now, um, instead of worrying about what it looks like, you're just worried about it producing kind of the right numbers, whether it be launch monitor readings or you know how your weight is shifting and those kinds of things. And so it's less about aesthetics. It's more about just results. And Matthew Wolf is just the perfect example of that. It's obviously not a, a golf swing that you would teach per se, but it gets the results. What's, I mean, is I can't imagine that on the most simplistic level, swing your swing it always has been a part of teaching golf to, to, you know, <laughs> anyone uh, throughout the, the history of the sport, not the swing has evolved over time. You know, is, is there any resistance to uh, that kind of teaching? You know, I don't think so. I think because, you know, the other thing Charles said is we have more smart people than ever that are into coaching. And obviously some people get kind of scared off when, you know, you start talking about biomechanics, and you know, launch monitor readings and physics and all this stuff that um, they fear you can kind of get into that paralysis by analysis. And they probably look at like, you know, DJ and Brooks and like, look, they just, you know, they're athletes. But uh, those guys themselves might not be looking at it, but their coaches definitely are. And there's just, I don't think so. I think they people know now that you need to be well-versed in that stuff. You're at a disadvantage if you're not using it because it allows you to measure things that never could be measured before. And so I think the golf swing happens so fast, uh, and there's so many things that you can't see with the naked eye that if you're not using this stuff to really find out what's happening in the golf swing, you're at a disadvantage. And you know, like any information, it's how you use it. So it, not only is it knowing how to capture the information, but it's also the need to know what to do with it. And there's more and more people that I think know what to do with that information. I don't know what to do with Matthew Wolf, right? Like, like we just, you have, um, you, you, you take this and I think that where we left it is that it might just be, um, you know, like a sink or swim type thing that you would expect Matthew Wolf that when it's on, uh, it's going to be on, but that he will sometimes miss a cut uh, as he did at the Rocket Mortgage right before uh, this absolutely explosive, dramatic, theatrical win. Like that's like the it's fun because you have the the history from Westlake, California, that Kyle has uh, the Oklahoma State connection. It feels like the the three of us and this this group 
has all been in on Matthew Wolf. Now, as I'm having, and as we are having to describe him to other people, you know, how do you put it in reference for what we should actually expect from the golf? I think the most important thing, and he kind of mentioned it, is the job security of the two-year exemption. Because, you know, if you don't have that, you're, you know, you're a couple bad weeks from, you know, going down to the Corn Ferry Tour, or, you know, if you miss at Q School. And so I think that's the biggest thing is now with a two-year exemption, he can, he has the comfort of knowing that if he has a couple bad weeks, he doesn't have to worry about it, per se. It's not, there's no greater, you know, ramifications than, hey, I just had a few bad weeks. And so it, the stress level is so much lower now because you're not worried about, you know, going down to a lower level. You know where you're going to be the next two years. And that just makes life so much easier for a young player. And I don't think that can be understated because so many of these guys, you know, they're living year to year um, and they have stressful weeks where they've got to get the job done or else they're going back to the corn Ferry tour or going back to Q school, those kinds of things. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing for his development. Um, there's parts of his game that still need to develop. Um, you know, I talked to Aaron Oberholzer who he played on tour one on tour. He was a top 25 player in the world before injuries. And he did NCAAs for the golf channel. He said, you know, Matthew has physical skills that you really just can't teach. Uh, but like a lot of young players who come out on tour, um, he's got to work on his wedge game and really refine that. But you know what? Tiger Woods had to work on his wedge game when he first came out. He had trouble uh, with distance control. Dustin Johnson, we've talked so much about how he improved his wedge game the last few years. And so Matthew has this foundation of he's a great player who obviously is capable of winning on the PGA Tour, and now he just needs to refine some skills, especially kind of that wedge play. But he has the freedom to do that and work on that because he doesn't have, doesn't have to worry about keeping his card. All right. So what about his playing partner on Sunday, you know, who had his own chance to to force a playoff and, and maybe be able to have this career changing moment? Your boy, Colin Marikawa. So, yeah, yeah like this. So the pressure's on for him here starting this week at the John Deere and for the rest of the way to try to also be able to attain that kind of job security. Yeah, but that's I mean, he did not seem like a guy who was worried about stress. I mean, that was that's the most impressive part. I mean, with Matthew Wolf, when you're hitting at 330, 340, that makes the game a lot easier. Colin Morikawa's not doing that, but he's been flagging his irons. It's really incredible iron play. Uh, I looked it up. If if he had enough rounds to qualify for the stats, and obviously it's a small sample because he only played four rounds as a pro, he would rank uh, second on tour in strokes gained approach. I think he'd be seventh in strokes gained total, which just is how much you're beating the field by each round. And uh, at the the 3M last week, his strokes gain approach was the fourth best performance of the season. So it's just been a really incredible uh, showing. I mean, both Wolf and Morikawa, they were 1-2 in strokes gain approach. They they contended, you know, Wolf wins, Morikawa almost does, with basically just slightly above average putting weeks. They didn't put their brains out to win. They just did it with strong ball striking. And really, it's you know, you see guys get hot putters and they come and go, but Really, with Morikawa, it's been just this very consistent uh, ball striking. And when people I've talked to about him, they say, I mean, that's just who he is. He's the kind of guy who, like, his missed tee shots, like, end up in the first cut, uh, no pun intended, for the podcast right, name. But, yeah. like, <laughs> he doesn't you. have big big misses. His misses are very slightly offline. And they said, you know, his junior year of college, he averaged 68.6 strokes. His senior year of college, which he just finished, he averaged 69.0 strokes. And then as a pro, he's averaged 68.6 strokes again. So basically, over the last two and a half years, he shot the same score every round, no matter where he's playing, which is incredible. 
do you think that consistency, like what kind of odds or how do you foresee the rest of his uh, season playing out in terms of trying to pick up sponsors exemptions, trying to get as many FedEx cut points or, you know, golf dollars as you need to be able to have that kind of job security? Yeah, luckily he's secure for the Corn Ferry Finals. He's already got that all locked up. So worst case scenario, he goes to those. And, and then really there, you just need one good finish to get your PJ Tour card for next year. So I think there's a pretty good chance that we're going to see Colin Morikawa on tour next year uh, one way or the other. And, you know, it's crazy, though. There's really only – because he's not in the Open. He's not in the WGC the week after. It's only the Deer and then the Wyndham are the only two, like, full 500-point FedEx Cup events left for him to play before uh, the Corn Ferry Finals. So there's really not many opportunities left for him uh, to try to get that card through the non-member FedEx Cup points. But, I mean, the way he's played, I would really like his chances in the Corn Ferry Finals to get a tour card, and then we would see him in October uh, or September at the Safeway Open playing as a tour member. When we've got star players at the collegiate level, do you – uh, is is there something uh, either to be said in the analysis based on what you've seen that to, you know, everyone comes out at different times. Like let's compare it to college basketball, I guess. But when you have a player like Matthew Wolf who leaves after his sophomore season, you know, star studded all the way through, but then, you know, Markawa on the other end is coming out after his senior year. Does, is there like growth and development? Is there any kind of, uh, like in the in, in the NBA, you're drafting it as a prospect, right? Like you you're not expecting uh, the 20 year old to be the 20 year old forever. You're expecting that player to be uh, you know like a 24 and 25 year old, 22 year old who's a four year player. You know, then they kind of are what they are. Is it's like do you have uh, a sense of if there is significant growth and development in a college golfer's game between those sophomore and senior seasons? I think a lot of guys um, they go into school for the most part thinking they're going to go four years, but there is a sense of striking while the iron is hot. So, you know, Victor Hovland turns pro after this year was over because, you know, he'd won the U.S. Amateur, he'd played well in a couple majors, and so it was time to go. I mean, his stock was high. Uh, Morikawa had done some really good stuff as a college player, but there wasn't a time where people were just clamoring for Colin Morikawa to turn pro. And I think, you know, because he's not that physically dominant player like Matthew Wolf. He knows he needs to keep refining things and getting things a little bit tighter and a little bit tighter. And, and honestly, it's smart because now you're spending four years in the comfort of your college environment where your coach is making your travel plans. And you know what? If you shoot 75, it's not that big a deal. You just go back to campus. You're a college student with no worries in the world, and you can work on your game kind of without that stress. Whereas if you go pro as you know, after your sophomore year, let's say, and you don't have a huge you know, endorsement deal like Matthew Wolf signed, then – you've got that pressure of, you know, you're trying to keep your car, trying to get through Q school, trying to um, get onto Corn Ferry or Canada or one of the other tours. And so I think for Colin, because he didn't have that big breakthrough moment, like Matthew Wolf did last season or Victor Hovland did uh, with the U S amateur, it's, it's like, why not just stay in school for four years? I can keep getting better in a low stress environment. And then that way I know I'll be ready when it's time to turn pro. Coming up on the other side, going to get some early open championship Thoughts from Sean and our perfect finish for the John Deere. Next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. 
four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It's a really fine line creating workout clothes that are great in the gym and workout clothes that are also great to look at outside the gym. And Viore has threaded that needle. They are designed to work out in, but they don't look like it. They don't feel like it. And it's incredibly comfortable stuff, whether you are running, training, swimming, doing yoga, running errands, lounging around the house. It really doesn't matter. These are versatile clothes. You'll find me often in the men's Sunday performance jogger because I I like the jogger situation that goes on down at the bottom, but they're very comfortable. Uh, They've got a little bit of a shorter inseam, so they're not as bulky as as other pants or other joggers that I have seen out there, and I've really enjoyed how they work both in and out of the gym. So now, here's what you can do for for our listeners. Uh, First-time purchasers are getting 20% off. All you have to do is go to viori.com slash first. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash first. Again, not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out. Viori.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. And now it's time for our perfect finish brought to you by Amstel Light. It's got the perfect finish. It's got the perfect balance. And it's exactly what you want after any golf round. Sean, I uh, I suggest to you that a perfect finish at the John Deere would be Colin Marikawa winning and securing his place on the PGA Tour for the next two years. It would be crazy. I mean, I think I saw somewhere Victor Holland was the betting favorite. I mean, the guy's not even a tour member. But, I mean, he's finished... 12th, 13th, uh, one bad week uh, at the the Travelers, I think, and then 13th again at the the 3M. I mean, the guy's top 15 in three of his last four professional starts, so there's no reason not to think that. And, you know, you do have to wonder how Wolf and Morikawa are going to fare this week just after, A, playing a ton of golf in a condensed time period, and then, B, you know, for Wolf, there probably is a little bit of a letdown of, like, all right, I can relax, take a breath, I can kind of, you know, let my hair down a little bit because everything is secure and locked up. And, and for Colin, I think it's just, it's so stressful being in contention, especially when the stakes are so high for a guy with, with no tour status that, you know, it's understandable if there's some sort of just kind of let down or kind of, you know, it's hard to get the adrenaline going again or some exhaustion, that kind of thing. So uh, I think in some sense, Hovland might be best off of all of them just because he's had some really good finishes, but he hasn't necessarily had that stress of, you know, playing in the final group on Sunday. Victor Hovland also still seeking that uh, that security. It's crazy because he's been in all the majors that I forget that he still has some work to do to be able to uh, get a guarantee, guarantee PGA Tour card even for next year. Yeah, and he's in those Corn Ferry finals too. And I mean, again, you know, anything can happen, uh, but you've got to think that he would be uh, a pretty good, a pretty fairly safe bet, as safe a bet as you can get in golf to uh, – to get his his tour card uh, through those. And that has been our perfect finish brought to you by Amstel Light. It's the perfect choice, perfect finish, perfect balance at the end of any round of golf with your friends. So for uh I since you were dialed in to the 3M Open, were you are you also in on like the Irish Open, Scottish Open, this this run up uh on the European Tour into the Open Championship? Definitely. I love it. I love what the, the shotgun start with uh, Andy and Brendan over there. They call it coffee golf just because it is like 
it's a perfect thing to, you know, you just wake up and, you know, on the East Coast, probably by 8 a.m., it comes on and, you know, you just kind of maybe are slow getting out of bed, getting your day started on the weekend, grab a cup of coffee and just watch some Lynx golf and um, just a type of golf you don't see all year. So it's definitely a, a cool time of year for that. What, uh, Who's who's right now on your radar? Like as you're starting to think about the open, and as you're starting to think whether it's like uh, angles that are cool stories, or even players that you're really starting to consider. What's what's buzzing on your radar right now for Royal Portrush? I do share it with Kyle, kind of the the view that it was kind of funny that guys were like, "Oh, John Rahm, you know, established himself as open favor with that Irish Open win," and, and he's right. He's like, guys, he's been playing great all year. Um, he finished third at the, at the U.S. Open. He's got 10 top 10s and 15 starts this year. Um, it's his second Irish Open win, and so I think that he's someone that you have to look at. Um, and then even, you know, you look at Rory, and there's going to be a lot of talk around Rory because it is Royal Portrush, and he's from Northern Ireland, and it's a place where when he was 16 years old, he shot this 61 in the North of Ireland Amateur Championship, which sounds kind of like an obscure event, but that 61 made big headlines over there. and really was kind of this round where people were like, this kid's the real deal. There'd been rumblings and, you know, Rory had been on TV, um, as a little kid and, you know, chipping balls into washing machines. And, you know, he was kind of their phenom, but you don't know what that looks like on a grander stage. Is he just going to be a good European player? You know, maybe he gets on the European tour early, but when he shot that 61 Royal port rush is, is so hard that people really were like, that's incredible. I mean, for a long time, Padraig Harrington had that course record, and it was 65. And so 61 was like basically unfathomable. He shot 28 on the back nine. Um, and so it's a round that was very important in Rory's career. Uh, he'll get asked about it a bunch this week. But also, I was crunching the numbers. Rory's average finish in the Open since 2014 is third. He won in 2014. He missed 2015. He's got a second, a fourth, and a fifth also in there. So you know, I think we think of Rory as kind of – you know, oh, he does best when the majors are soft and that kind of thing. But, I mean, his links play is is something else. I mean, he's been in contention basically every time he's played for the last, you know, four Opens that he's been in. I I challenge, and I, I would have to take a bit by bit, but I challenge that, like, Rory doesn't necessarily content hasn't had necessarily the contentions at the open championships but he has had like the survival skills right like doesn't it doesn't it seem that at the open rory's just the one who doesn't completely lose his mind or or like just like absolutely eject like he's actually one who can sit in there and have like he might have two to three bogeys in a row but he's able to to keep it together and able to find some places to make scores find some holes where he's going to be able to take advantage um with some of his distance and i like rory rory has high finishes on the leaderboard but that doesn't always mean that he was like in the final group and contending at the open Sure, and I think you know people kind of knock that as kind of a backdoor finish or whatnot, but there's something to be said for just kind of consistently moving up the board while other people might have gotten off to a hot start and then faded back. And I understand why people think one is better than the other. You know, you're in the final group, you're in the TV time, you've got the late tee times, but, I mean, they all count the same Thursday through Sunday. And obviously, it, you know, you think what could have been if he had just shot a couple shots lower on Thursday, but at the same time, there's, you know, shooting – four consecutive 69s is the same as shooting, you know, 67, 67, and then backing it up with a couple of 73s um, or a couple of 71s. So I, I think that gets maybe a little bit more of a knock than it should. And he was in there in Carnoustie. It was kind of a late last minute gas, but he made that late Eagle 
to really kind of put himself in the mix. And at Carnoustie, with the way the final three holes play, really anything can happen. Uh, and But, you know, Francesco just closed it out. Right. And, like, look, I can uh... – I, I believe that you know high finishes deserve great attention, and I think that the only place where if you're bringing that up for Rory as a negative as part of your like pre-open commentary, it should only be in the discussion of who you want to win. I, th- I think that everything that he's shown suggests that in our little CBS Sports expert picks that he is a top 10 lock. He's, pr- he's my pick for top 10 lock. You're just suggesting that like many other times in the open and other major championships, while he's a lock for the top 10, because he's just one of the best players uh, on, on the planet. uh, I'm just not going to pick McElroy as the one to actually finish. Because to me that just, if we get uh, Rory at port rush, like after getting tiger at Augusta, I, I wonder if it's just going to be uh I don't know. It's it's funny to look back at the at the whole major championship. I just think that Rory at Portrush would be a little bit too much, right? Like, wouldn't that just be a little bit too much of storybook kind of breakthrough moment? I think that we we used up all of our storybook points at Augusta. That's what I'm saying. Chip, why are you hating everyone's dreams? I just let yourself dream. Let yourself dream a little, Chip. Well, right now my pick is John Rahm, and it's not and it's it's not just because I like, I of the headlines. Rory at Portrush would be nuts, and. You know, this Open has sold out. People are very excited for it. I mean, it's the first time it's been in Northern Ireland uh, or Ireland since 1951, and that was the first Open to ever be held outside of England or Scotland. And a sellout at the Open is big crowds because they can sell a lot of tickets because there's so much um, so much room around links courses. And so, you know, you're going to have big crowds excited for the Open, a lot of enthusiasm, and then to have Rory playing late, it would be – I mean, it would be nuts. I you know, let's go Rory Tiger duel. Uh, let's let's do it. I would love it. Absolutely love it. He is Sean Martin. You can follow him on Twitter at PGA Tour S Martin. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Sean, this has been delightful. Thank you very much. Thanks, Chip. <laughs>